Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Grilled Cheese and Rosé, where we discover the different blends within our lives. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole, and this is season two, episode two, Discover Your State of Mind, with special guest, clinical counselor, Dominika Stuckey, owner of the Sunshine Brand and Atlee Counseling. Hey guys, how are you? <laughs> I'm so excited about this. This is like one of my favorite topics. So excited about this conversation. Um, so last week, friends, we talked about discovering your sexy and how it plays into your confidence um, as you show up into the different areas of, of your life. This week, we're discovering some possible mental roadblocks that might prevent us from showing up at all or maybe just a little bit. So the importance of discovery determines in this particular area, determines our quality of life and the levels of evolution we reach. The ability to not only recognize blockage, but seek help to eliminate or decrease the size is a true act of strength and courage. So before we get into this conversation, Dominica, tell the friends a little bit about yourself and your qualifications. Um, I have a master's degree in pastoral counseling, um, and the specific program is not necessarily Christian counseling. It's any spirituality that a person, um, would bring to the table. Um, and then I'm also licensed, um, as a professional counselor in the state of South Carolina. And I have a specialty certification in what's called TFCBT, which is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's a specialized therapy for, um, children who have, um, had any kind of traumatic experience. Okay. You want to tell them any bit, any, yep. any more about yourself? Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I thought you just wanted the clinical stuff. Oh, no. Well, I, I love chocolate. No. <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's good stuff. Yeah, tell them so, about yourself. Yeah. yeah, so I'm from South Carolina. I'm born and raised. Um, I left um, when I was 14, no, fi- no, 16. I went to boarding school um, in Hartsville, South Carolina. And then those last years were boarding school. And then I went to Baltimore um, for undergrad. I went to Johns Hopkins. And um, originally, I guess, kind of like a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but many people who originally are planning to be a physician, um, I was planning to be an OBGYN. Um, and then I guess we'll get to later on about what happened. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I then um, went into, decided to go and become a professional counselor. And I worked initially in substance abuse, um, door diagnosis with adults, did that for um, several years and then kind of transition into family preservation. So then I worked with families in home, um, did some work with children, um, and then eventually decided that I wanted to open a private practice um, to kind of work with everybody. So I started my practice in Baltimore in 2010. And a year later, I um, had a medical um, emergency that landed me in the hospital. I actually celebrated my one year anniversary in the hospital. And then um, just kind of got rerouted to South Carolina and came back to South Carolina and started practicing here. Um, I think I reopened my practice officially here in 2014 and I've been practicing here ever since. Awesome. That's yeah. a lot. God, I didn't even yeah. know all of that stuff. <laughs> uh, so yeah. how did you decide that this was the field? Because you mentioned OB, right? So yeah. how did yeah. you decide this yeah. was the field that you wanted to pursue? 
So I um, probably from a very young age wanted to be a doctor. Um, I think just healing was always something that was a part of my framework. Um, I now know that it was part of my trauma, you know, wanting to heal what was broken in me. But also, I think it's also part of my gifts um, spiritually um, and natural as well. And so um, I was in my sophomore year um, getting ready to um, it's probably around like the fall. Well, it's probably, it was November. It was October, I think. Yeah. October. Yeah. It was October that year. And I was actually in the midst of like a really heavy, um, I was taking Orgo, Orgo lab, biochem, biochem lab, and my grandmother died. And I remember, um, I was devastated and I, came back to school and I had this pressure because I felt like I wanted to take time off and I wanted to be able to kind of grieve and mourn. And, but I was on no time clock, you know, that if you know, you know, when you're on financial aid, you got to finish in those four years, you know, cause if not, you know, after that age semester, you know, you got to figure out how you're going to pay for it. And so I knew that like, if I'm doing pre-med, I can't get off this, this, this cycle that I'm on. I mean, like the way these classes rotate, I've got to finish these classes. And I remember, um, the academic advisor, um, I was talking with her and I was just like sobbing, sobbing. And um, she didn't really, there was a lack of compassion and she did not allow me to be able to um, take a minute to, um, she didn't allow me um, the opportunity to um, just be and grieve like Mm. she literally made me get up and like walk through the office um like tears in my eyes and I remember that moment being so defeating and feeling like if this is what it takes to be a doctor um I just don't know and I just started thinking really hard about it and I realized that I had been really more absorbed with listening to my friends talk about their problems. You know, I would be up late at night, like my grade. I mean, I had average grades. I mean, I was not, I mean, I could do it, but I didn't really want it that bad. Um, Because what I, I, what I spent more of my time doing was taking care of the people around me. They had nicknamed me mother goose in my (laughs) freshman year, because like, I was always so caretaking when the football players would like get drunk, they would call me to go like turn them on their side. So they wouldn't like, (laughs) like drown in their, vomit like mm-hmm. I'm literally the person that did that you know and I remember an Orgo lab like my partner's product burned up and I'm like over there consoling her and then my product burned up because I was with her and I didn't care and I just kind of was like I don't know and so I had all this kind of swirling in my head and so I'm persisting because I'm like I at least got to finish these classes and um that December, I was part of University Christian Fellowship, and that December we had a conference, and there was a woman who was a psychologist, and she integrated faith and spirituality in a way that I never heard before in my life. Like, I didn't even know they went together, and um, thought they were very separate, you know, and um, I was like, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do, and um, by the end of the semester, I made up my mind that I was going to um, just switch over and go to counseling and so I ended up just change well I hadn't declared a major just yet I ended up declaring a history as my major because I loved history so I could just at least finish the undergrad degree and then I went and got a master's um, at Loyola wow so how yep. long was that how long was that phase how long was that space in time between like you actually pursuing initially what you were going to pursue from the medical field to actually deciding 
I mean, it was pretty much from like a young child up until sophomore year of college. Like I fin- okay, so I went sophomore ahead. Year. Okay. Yeah, I went ahead and finished everything that sophomore year, and then after that, my junior year, I just I decided, you know, to finish up the degree in history and then go get a master's degree in counseling. Yep. Okay. So let's, you know, let's really like dive into um, therapy and mental illnesses and let's kind of dive into mental illness because I've always kind of had an issue. And I I mentioned this to you about the word mental illness. And -hmm. I think in a lot of ways it's prevented people from actually seeking help because I mean, when you hear that, it's like something's wrong with my mind. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. there, you know what I'm saying? There's something wrong with my mind. Even like, you know, I even mentioned about STD. You, you hear, even though majority of the STDs are now curable, when you hear disease, it's like, gosh, this is something that I'm, you know, plagued with forever. So hearing the word mental illness and mental illness going around now, obviously the trending thing is mental health, right? Mm-hmm. But like when you hear mental illness, I think it, it prevents people from seeking the help that they need. So could you kind of clarify and clear up where does that term mental illness really come from? Well, I think that for a long time, there was a stigma that it was just all in your head and that if people were just strong enough, had enough willpower, they could just get over it. And so there was not um, a lot of um, people, you know, insurance companies weren't really paying. And if you did pay, you had to, you know, write a, you know, your life story to get authorization. I mean, like, I think the idea of classifying as an illness is to say that this is no different than having high blood pressure, any of the other concerns that you'll go to your medical doctor. And so there was, um, you know, some legislation created to create mental health parity, um, which basically said that this is on, on par with just like any other mental health illness so that insurance companies could not discriminate against you and not pay for for it. Um, providers could actually get reimbursed um, and that you would be able to get, you know, the same number, you know, or comparable number of visits um, because at one point there were limitations on visits um, with insurance companies. And so um, it really was just to kind of make it where people um, would realize that, you know, this is not just something, but this is a, bi- you know, in many cases, a, bi- a condition that has a biological origin. Now, there are certain conditions that have an origin in trauma or, you know, origin in situations. But in many cases, um, there's a biological um, origin. Um, and even if there is a, um, you know, another kind of trigger for something, there still is some kind of vulnerability biologically that's going on. Um, I tend to re- say mental health disorder. Um, I think that's usually what I kind of refer to just for comfort, but um, the illness idea is to be able to help it for the medical community. Yeah. So that's really actually a really good point because I think if people had more understanding of the origin of something, because when I hear that, I immediately realize that they were trying to create a way to help. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what they just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they just sure. labeled it something, they labeled it something that, really almost kind of backfired in a way because while they were trying to help and they were also trying to create a method to um, help people, you know, obviously be able to tap into their insurance and for it to be taken seriously on the flip, on the other side, the people who needed it, it's like, no, nothing's wrong with you. And especially in our community in African-American culture, you know, it is. It's a matter of, well, you can pray it away or you can, you know, if you just, you know, meditate or, or not even meditate because meditate really isn't used in the Christian or religious community. But, but like, if you just 
be strong enough, you'll get through it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of been the thing. So with that, now knowing friends, we now know they were trying Mm -hmm. to help us. (laughs) They were trying (laughs) to help us um, to really, you know, take it seriously and know that there is um, outlets for us. When do you think is a good time for a person to seek therapy? I think as soon as you want to talk, you know, because, you know, typically the definition of a, you know, the, the, the way we textbook sort of say it's a mental health disorder is when it is creating clinically significant impairment or distress, either for you, your job, your family, you know, or just anybody around you. Because, I mean, you could have a problem and it not bother you, but it bother everybody around you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's still, we can, we can still define that. Because, I mean, there's some people say they have a, they have a thought, so they're psychotic. They could be perfectly fine. They're a psychotic little world. And everybody around them be, you know, just completely <laughs> devastated, yeah. destroyed, you know. Um, but I think that some, you don't even need to let it get that bad. I mean, the minute you feel like you want to talk, because here's the thing, everybody deserves a safe place to talk. So therapy is not necessarily because there's something wrong with you. Sometimes therapy is because you just need a place. You don't, you need somewhere safe to just work out whatever, you know I mean? Sometimes, I mean, I actually, when I'm interested, I I see both children and adults, but when I talk to kids, because a lot of times they're just kind of like, what am I doing here? And I, I tell them, if you're having a wonderful day and having amazing things happening in your life, but you just, it's just a whole lot, you can come talk to me. Like, even if there are good things going on yeah, and they're overwhelming, you know, we have what, you know, we have something called eustress, E-U-E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, so it's good stress. So you could have a new promotion, a new baby, a new job, all these things, and you're like, my life is well, going amazingly well, but I feel overwhelmed. You can still come talk to somebody about that because we're going to help you manage your time and manage your energy and balance everything, you know. And so it isn't necessarily because you are um, there's something wrong with you necessarily. So I think the best time to come is whenever you feel in your belly that you need to talk to somebody. That's good, because I feel like there's a lot of people um, and and we've all gone through this where you have a circle of people around you, but you really can't talk or you really can't um, express yourself even if mm-hmm. it was like growing up, right? There's a lot of people who um, were not given the, um, I guess, the outlet to be able to express themselves, right? So when good things happen or bad things happen, that all they know how to on the inside. And so then you grow up and then you don't know how to really communicate and converse. And mm-hmm. so being able to have, like you said, that safe place to let all of that stuff out and then not also just let it hang out because sometimes your friends are not the best place, right? To let all of these things, <laughs> these things out with, right? But what I love about therapy and what I love about a really great therapist and a really great counselor is they know how to help you organize it all. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. know how to help you make sense. So while you may be in a session and you just vomit all over the place. You just let it all hang out. And then they're the ones that can kind of pick out, well, oh, you had corn today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you, you know, they can kind of pick mm-hmm. out and say, okay, this is, this is where we're going to, we're going to focus on this today because I see you have a lot of corn all over the place that you just vomited out, so to speak. So let's kind of focus on this and then let's, let's handle this, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree or disagree? Am I, am I off on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think our job, I, um, 
a, one of my, I have a couple of sites that I have profiles on and on one of them, psychology today, I actually, my, my, uh, you ever do like a personal statement or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and I, my metaphor for counseling is that I am simply, we're say we're two miners in a dark cave and we both have headlamps on your bulb blew out. And all my job is, is to use the light on my bulb to go help you go find your bulb and then screw it back in and then send you on the way the rest of your journey. That's so good. Most people know the answers in, in within, but there's so much clutter or it's dark and they can't see it. And my job, honestly, is just to help you see what you already know and help yeah. you clear out the clutter or help you get the courage. Because sometimes people just don't have the courage to do what they want. They need well, they want or know they need to do. And so yeah. my job is to help really, you know, build that courage. So either give clarity or declutter or give courage. Friends, I hope that you're listening because we're only like a few minutes into this episode and we're already clearing up for you. Going to therapy is not because something is wrong with you. It's not necessarily. It's not because you're off or you have some type of illness or you are on the verge. It is simply because you need a safe place. And so I hope you guys are listening as to, to realize what a good use of a therapy because you know these shirts have been coming out. I don't know if you've seen it where they mm-hmm. say um God in therapy, God mm-hmm. and my therapist, or prayer mm-hmm. and therapy. Mm-hmm. And you do, you need both. You need a matter. I need to be able to pray and meditate, but then there's also I need to have someone who's qualified and also someone that I can connect with. And we'll actually talk about that. So since we talked about how, you know, when is a good time to seek therapy. Do you feel like when you're looking for a therapist, well, actually, let me back up. Well, not back up. But what do you think are some of the key things that a person should look for in in a therapist? Um, It's it's tricky, I think, because um, I've had people literally call me up and, you know, say, well, how did you find me? And they say, oh, well, you know, I saw your profile. And it was like, I was looking through all these profiles and I just saw your face mm-hmm. and just something, something about your face just spoke to me. You know, I had one guy, he was like, I just felt like you looked like you were warm. And that's what I, and I was like, oh, thank you. You know, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's something like that. There's just a connection. Um, I think you definitely, well, let's just back. I guess I, I do. There is one thing you do need. You need to make sure they're licensed. Um, because you don't want a, you know, someone operating on you, um, that doesn't have a surgical, you know, you know, doesn't have an MD and no surgical license. I mean, you don't want that. And so in the same way, you need to care for your mind just like that. So they need to be licensed. And so they can be licensed, um, as a professional counselor. Um, they can be licensed as a, you know, a clinical social worker. They can have be a psychologist, you know, there are a couple of different, you know, licenses, but they need to be someone that is licensed because you know that they've been verified, they've been vetted. Um, and that, you know, so there's no, cause I mean, we, we're not perfect. And so there are, you know, our risk and counseling, you know, your stuff's going to come up and you need a skilled hand to be able to kind of help you with that. And so mm-hmm. that's the first thing, make sure the person's licensed. Um, 
I would look at sort of most of us have to list kind of our specialties and list our um, our treatment modalities. And so read through the information, you know, the specialties will kind of tell you, give you an idea. I mean, most counselors in general, when you when you're initially licensed, you're kind of a general practitioner and you can kind of do a little bit of everything. But most people tend to kind of gravitate toward a particular specialty. Um, It doesn't mean that a person with a specialty can help you. But I think that there are certain people who are probably more like if you're an adult and this person only takes children, then that's probably not going to work because, you know, they're even though they may be able to take everybody, if they're saying they primarily work with whatever, um, that means that they're kind of their personality style, whatever is 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 to a certain population type. So I would take a look at their population type that they work with, their treatment modalities. Um, if someone does something um, like, uh, I'm just trying to think, like someone says all they do is shock therapy, which I mean, nobody, I guess nobody can do that really anymore. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you want to look at, like if the person is saying they do, you know, if you're a person that you're very existential and very philosophical and you want to kind of understand origins, you may not want someone who is strictly cognitive behavioral therapy because all they're going to be doing is working with your thoughts, your feelings and the actions. You know, it's very kind of, you know, rigid, very regimented, usually kind of short term. Or if they say they're short term solution focused um, and you know that you probably need to be there for a minute, you know, <laughs> um, you probably don't want to take them. Or if they're an EAP therapist, that's all they do. EAP is your employee assistance program. It's only five visits in most cases. And that's all they take. Then you're going to be, you know, sent packing after five visits. So I think just read the information and kind of find out their, their you know, their, their typical client, the modality. And most of us, most people will put some kind of personal statement up there that says something. If you're a person that is not, because again, I am open to all faith traditions. I, I, respect and honor them all and so if someone were um said that they were only a christian counselor like that was their big thing um then you would know that they probably would not be inclusive of other religions um or if um i mean it's pretty much illegal to say this but if they somehow put on their page that they don't accept you know certain orientation gender or, or sexual orientations i mean which you know, i don't think anybody be ballsy but then again there are probably some people who are a little bit ignorant that would do that but in most cases you can't get away with that but if they did then you would know and if that's you know something that is part of your story you know you need to stay away from someone like that you know or if they're affiliated with an organization um, that has those particular biases, then you know you need to avoid those kind of um, places. But there's tons of resources, um, and I can probably, you know, I can list some off, and I can even send you some links that you can share. Um, yep. Where there's some general ones, you can look up by zip code. Then there's um, some that are more specific. Um, so there are plenty of options where you can go online and research and check out profiles. Yeah. So. So I know that Dominica just gave us a lot. <laughs> she just gave us <laughs> a lot. <laughs> No, 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 which is, no, 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 which is really good, but I want to simplify it for him a little bit because the biggest thing that we need to do when we're looking um, to involve ourselves into something new is we need to do our homework. Mm-hmm. That applies to every area, but especially when you have someone who is um, dealing with the sensitivity of your mind, your emotions, your trauma, things that you're working through. Um, just would be the same as medical, right? So you mentioned that um, someone having an MD but not having their surgical license. All of those things are really important because you can have a really great connection, but if something happens in that room that they're not licensed or prepared for, it's going to be, all that connection is going to go out mm-hmm. the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So making sure that you do your homework 
because I know there was some terms that um, there were some terms that I really wouldn't. I actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take some of those terms and I'm going to give definitions and I'm going to send it out. If you guys are interested, um, I'm going to have you, I'm going to put it on my website so that you can understand the different terms that she was mentioning about cognitive, cognitive um, approach to treatment and those different types of things so that you can understand. Because if I know, if I'm ready to talk, right. If I'm just ready to talk, I don't really know what I need. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're looking for the professional to tell you what you need. But if I have, if I do my homework and I kind of know what some terms mean, or if I know, okay, this is a better approach that I'm looking for. If I'm, or if I'm Muslim, it's probably best for me to go to someone who is honorable of all, or they're not, you know, necessarily in one particular faith, all of those different things are beneficial to know prior to seeking a therapist and actually getting one. I personally believe that you should interview a therapist after researching. Mm -hmm. Would you agree or disagree? I absolutely agree. Um, and honestly, your first session is, is, is the interview in a lot of ways. Um, because it gives you an opportunity to get a feel for them, not just them, but I mean, every step of the process um, is really indicative of your experience. I mean, if they, not everybody, you know, now for the most people, most people have a website, but even if they don't, don't hold it against them because there are some older clinicians that are wonderful that just haven't quite caught up with that. But from the minute you walk in the door, I think that should be your starting point of the interview. And if it's, you know, a welcoming feel in your, um, the reception area, um, you know, if whoever's greeting you is receiving, you know what I mean? If that stuff is smooth, but if it's, you know, ghetto and just I mean like you know because there's that still does exist you know or the yeah person, or if the person doesn't show up I mean I, I mean I could say that maybe one or two times I have either accidentally misscheduled or something like that but there's never any reason for you to show up and I mean I just heard that someone called me and was like yeah an appointment with a therapist and I, and she never showed up and I'm like horrified because that is so awful like you know maybe late but not at all I mean I've only yeah. probably done that maybe one or two times in my life and then I was able to quickly like figure out you know whatever get word to them you know and it's probably because I was like on death's door or something you know like but I would you never do that so there are every part of that you know so don't just think about what happens in the room because they could be yeah. really whatever I mean a slip with anything you look at everything um but I think that you will hey, can feel... I stop you can I stop you for just one second sure before you proceed to the next I also want to say that while there might be th might be things that turn you off don't get turned off by therapy <laughs> don't get turned off by wanting to go and proceed because a lot of times we can encounter those moments and that's why I wanted to stop and pause on this for a second because we can encounter those moments and say see this is why I should have never I see this is why I'm not going to go to therapy mm -hmm. this is why this is a sign you know we're good for saying this is a sign this is a sign that I don't need to go that I can just handle it on my own all it's telling you is that this person is sure. not for you not sure. that therapy is not for you and I'm sorry go sure. ahead no, you're fine. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're actually in the room and you're talking to the person, I think that you'll know. I mean, I always tell them and I tell my clients this. I say to them, if for any reason this doesn't feel right, you, you just we're not connecting. There's a disconnect. Please say something because I don't want you to be feel I don't want you to feel obligated to stay here. And mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to help you to find somebody because everybody doesn't click. I mean, there are just some people that just for personality differences or whatever, you know, it just doesn't quite work. And then it also, um, some clients are more needy than others. You know, some, most of my clients, 
you know, I'm able to see them one time a week and then we're good. You know, they're able to sustain themselves the rest of the week until we see each other again. And there's some clients who probably need to come, you know, two or three times a week because they're just in such crisis and depending upon the therapist's availability, depending upon kind of, you know, the support staff they have, they may not be able to manage that. And so it's okay after that first session or the first two or three sessions to be able to do that. I mean, I can be honest and say that I've done that. I mean, I personally, we had to, as part of our training program, um, when I was in college, um, I had to go and see a therapist like it was required. And I remember that the guy that I chose, um, we would be sitting in session and he would start nodding off. And like literally falling asleep on me. And I remember at first I was like horrified. And at first, and I was like, but I, and the thing is, I felt like I couldn't say anything. And again, that was part of my own upbringing, you know, having, you know, lost my voice through, you know, some things that happened. And then my father was being very dominant. And this is, of course, this is white man. And I can't, of course I cannot challenge him, you know, and I eventually had to like say something and I think the thing that happened was that he was kind of dismissive. He was like, oh, it's after lunch, my blood sugar drop, blah, blah, blah. But he wasn't like super, super like, apologetic. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he apologized, <laughs> but he wasn't apologetic. And then, it yeah. kept, and then it happened again. And I was like, yeah, I'm out. You know, like, I just was like, find me somebody else. I'm out. You know, or I've had someone else before who um, every time I would share something, she would give the interpret like she would interpret what it meant and not ask me and 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 be like oh well that's because and I'm like no like that's not what I meant <laughs> and so I was yeah. just like mm, I don't like you and I literally and what was crazy thing is I walked out the door she walked me to the door um I said goodbye she closed the door and immediately out of my mouth was I don't like you and it was so funny because it was just like an impulse. And I was like, mm, yeah, that's probably a good sign. And I yeah, didn't go back. So you have that right. And, you know, and I think it's true to not feel like um, it's the end for therapy completely. Yeah. Um, go back to your research. Go back to the drawing table. I say that word of mouth is great. I get a lot of clients word of mouth. Um, because the other thing is that people know, like people will know, you know what? that person I've experienced them I know they'll be good for you so yeah. a lot of times your friends may have seen someone and they kind of know you and they kind of know both personalities and so you probably want to talk to people that have been in therapy um check message boards but also if there are reviews maybe um we're not I guess we're not heavily reviewed because it's not something that's like you know because again most therapists this whole getting on the internet kind of thing is I mean we're catching up but I mean it wasn't like from day one you could always go to a website to find a review of your therapist it's not always been the case so you're not maybe you won't may not find a heavy heavy list of reviews but I think you can at least dig around enough to find out you know what's you know what the person is like but absolutely interview them and if you don't like them switch yeah see and it's funny that you said that because um about um, referral or word of mouth, because I know that when I went to therapy, um, when I went to therapy, um, for three years in that three years, I probably had at least 10 of my friends or associates that went to my therapist as well. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, you just, when you're, when you're getting help and when you're processing through, they also, you know, you want to share that information with your friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then some of them, there was some that said, no, she's not quite it for me. Mm -hmm. And that was fine because they, that wasn't the connection that they needed. And so I really, before we kind of switch, um, 
switch into more of what does it look like? What are some of the things that would provoke or that would, you know, just kind of like encourage you to go see a therapist? What does it actually look like before we get there? Um, you know, the interview process is just so important and it's important in every aspect of our lives. I know that we're talking about mental health right now and we're talking about seeing a therapist, but it's no different than if you can date several people before you got married or you can date before you got into a relationship or you can try different restaurants before you went to the same restaurant for a year straight every Sunday. Like there's no different then all of the things that we've tried and then we still kept trying because that's what we really wanted, we still have to continue the same process because I know that a lot of people can give up. And especially for, even though mental health is trending in the sense of it's becoming more popular, there's still a lot of people that don't see the need for it, that don't see the need and the importance of like really having someone that can help you with your state of mind. If you, I mean, I I don't want to go too deep into the science of like our brain, but man, it controls a lot. Mm -hmm. So if there is a breakdown within the way that you see things or view things or trauma or crisis are happening and you don't have anyone that you can connect with that's licensed and that really cares to see you um, grow through this process and overcome these things, I mean, you're almost essentially a ticking time bomb. Yeah. You're you're like a ticking time bomb because you're not dealing with these. It's just, it's almost like a whole bunch of landmines that are unresolved within you. So things happen in our life or, you know, something happens at work and you're triggered and then it's something flares up or something happens at home or somebody cuts you off or there's an argument within your marriage or within a relationship or within family. And then there's all these like landmines that are like going off because you're not taking your mental health and your emotional well-being seriously. So friends, (laughs) Be very intentional about the in- about the interview process. Everyone isn't going to be for you. It doesn't mean that there isn't someone for you, that there isn't a therapist for you. Mm-hmm. And ask around. It's okay. You don't have to feel like, well, I don't want people to know that I'm going to therapy. Nowadays, probably it's the, the I don't want to say a number because I don't know the stats, but I'm sure there's a lot more people in your circle that are going to therapy than you realize. Mm-hmm. So letting them know that, Hey, I'm looking for a therapy or do you know anyone that I can speak to that's licensed um, is nothing's like that doesn't make you look weak or incapable. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, is there anything else you want to add to that? <laughs> No, 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 you're good. I mean, the only thing I would say about the landmines is that sometimes they're not externally exploded. Sometimes Mm. they're they're internal. And that's that's and that and that's where we sort of see disease coming in, you know, where Mm. a lot of the things that we've not expressed um, that are going on in our mental state or emotions, it gets expressed in our body. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So let's talk about because the top I want to say the top, but like some of the things that I hear a lot of people talk about um, and that I've even experienced myself is anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I have heard um, in conversation, you know, whether it's social media, people just kind of like, oh, I deal with anxiety. Right. Or um, they just kind of it's either thrown. It's either thrown out there or it's. 
it's like thrown out there or it's not taken seriously, right? There's mm-hmm. either like really low. So could you give us some aspects to what does anxiety look like? So what are some things? Um, you know, the anxiety is is probably one of our more common um and health disorders and um it's the primary feature is excessive worry um i think that's kind of mm-hmm. where excessive worry and and fear in some kind of in some way i think that's probably when you hear those that's where you would kind of start digging a little bit deeper and anxiety disorders can take on many forms you can have your generalized anxiety where you're just um, kind of worried about a lot of different things. Um, but then you also can have, um, specific phobias where the person is, um, hold on one second where, um, you know, the person is, (laughs) listen guys, uh, this is my, um, first podcast. So if I am like doing really, I don't know, I just, I've, yeah. Anyway, so if you hear me, moving it's it's hitting my shirt and then I yawned and all kinds of things so you know we're just gonna be real real I'm not one of those stuffy kinds yeah. of therapists I'm gonna tell you when I'm Good. doing something because you know Good. that's the thing when you're in the room and the therapist act like it's not happening and you're like what is wrong so yes we're going to say <laughs> that I keep hitting my microphone in the shirt and that I have yawned a couple of times, not because y'all are not interesting, but because the chicken I ate right before we started was really good. So I love it. <laughs> so my, my blood sugar's dropping, right? Okay. So yeah. I love it. And I'm actually moving right now because I'm, I, there's a, a pamphlet I want to grab real quick, but I'm going to talk, um, you know, you have your generalized anxiety, you have your social phobia where, um, people are afraid of going out of their home or they're afraid of crowds or so just any kind of social interaction makes them anxious. Um, you can have, um, which we can talk about more when we get to trauma, you know, PTSD, so that's where um, when you have literally some kind of traumatic event and you are basically almost reliving that incident um, in a sense, like over and over and just having some reactions in your daily life. Um, let's see what else we have adjustment disorders. And so that is where you have some kind of traumatic experience and it is impacting you, but not to the level of PTSD. Um, so anxiety can take on a lot of, uh, Oh, sorry. You also have OCD. You'll hear people talk about that, you know, so obsessive compulsive disorder where um, you have, how can we say it? You have your obsession. So you feel like something bad is going to happen if you don't do a compulsive behavior. And so that's where kind of the need to engage in rituals or counting or checking behaviors happens because you feel like otherwise something bad is going to happen. Um, Clinically, anxiety shows up worrying, um, trouble controlling the worry, being nervous, um, difficulty relaxing, trouble concentrating, being sort of on edge all the time, like easily, and people are easily startled. Um, it, it impacts your sleep. That's definitely one. Um, anxiety also impacts us somatically. So you will see a lot of people that have stomach problems. Um, because if you think about it, um, when you're anxious and stressed, there's lots of biological things that go on with that, particularly if there's a trauma that's related, because, you know, we talk about the whole flight or flight um, syndrome or flight or flight perspective in the sense that 
way long, long time ago, you know, your cave people, when there's some kind of danger coming, you know, it's like, I'm going to fight this thing or I'm going to run. And but what would happen biologically is that your body would begin cooling itself. Um, so you're going to start perspiring. Your um, blood is going to start rushing to your extremities to kind of help you with that fighting or flighting. You're not going to, your, your brain's going to say, okay, we're going to go in low function mode because we don't want to um, concentrate on anything other than this fight right now. And so there are things that happen in your body in that moment of flight or flight that are kind of rooted in those kind of times. But the problem is that the danger is not the same. And so they're kind of unnecessary, like your cortisol. I mean, all these things, these hormones that start rushing and you don't necessarily use them to fight. And so the problem is that if you're constantly arousing all of these physical things that has an impact on your body over time and kind of wears on it. Um, you will see in children um, sometimes being irritable. They just kind of seem on edge, the restlessness. Um, when you have a kid that's constantly asking you over and over and they seem to be irritated, the child might be anxious about something. Even some of the behaviors where children are acting out and being disruptive or being, you know, bad or whatever. Um, I've had kids, you know, constantly getting into something. And after a while with them, I'm like, hey, I think your kid's anxious. You know, I think there's something that's bothering them. But we kind of, we don't stop to pay attention because it doesn't express itself in the same way. So those are just kind of general kinds of symptoms of general anxiety. Um, but knowing that they do show up differently in different people. So I hope that kind of, that's a long way of answering that question. No, that was really um, good because you gave so many different um, examples as to how it could show up. And I really hope, friends, that you're listening through and just kind of like not only for yourself, but maybe even your family um, and especially your children. I think it's really important for us to pay attention to our children and to pay attention to when they need, um, especially in our community. We just have um, a God, we have a really bad habit of thinking that children are supposed to know what adults know um, mm -hmm. or behave in a way that adults behave when they're children. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we will say, well, they know better. No, they don't, <laughs> you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're children. So there's a lot of things that the child could be experiencing or maybe has dealt with it that we're unaware of. So if we pay attention to their behaviors, if we pay attention to, like you said, you know, they're, um, they're anxious or maybe they're asking questions over or maybe they are disruptive in class. May it's not a matter of like their bad seed or bad kid. Maybe there's something going on mm -hmm. and we have a tendency to dismiss it and kind of put this negative label on it versus like, hey, let's go deeper for whatever reason. I don't know what that is, but I don't know why as a community we don't like to go deeper. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't, it seems like, you know, therapy and mental health has been a common thing in other cultures. Um, but for our culture and probably even, I would even say like the Asian culture, it's kind of like, no, we, we can deal with it within our own community. You know what I'm saying? Like we can deal with it. Were you going to say something? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that we, um, there's not for a very long time been the permission you know, if you think about it, if, you know, if you're a slave and you are having a depressed day, mm -hmm. 
I mean, whether somebody cared or not, anybody cared. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah. like uh, get up and go to that, you know, go to that field. Even the people who did care, they couldn't care for you because then they might get, you know, there might be a consequence. You know what I mean? Someone yeah. could get beat for that. And so I think that I think slavery, honestly, and um, and and I mean that's a whole other <laughs> topic yeah, we can go down. I yeah. But I do think that it has probably impacted, uh, and not only just for black people, but any culture that has gone through any kind of you know oppression. history of yeah. oppression mm-hmm. um because you are you and when you're going through that you're reduced to an animal your humanity gets stripped from you and yeah. so the basic you know things like feelings you know you're not allowed to have them or because it, having them might slow you down you know when you're trying to run away or trying to hide or something i mean think about yeah. like I mean, the diary of Anne frank i mean that was so impressed i mean impressed upon me as a child and i'm thinking she's in there hiding they couldn't cry they couldn't laugh. They couldn't yeah. have any kind of emotion because any emotion would alert someone they were hiding. Yeah. So it almost, you know, there, there, this, this, these, these political things that end up happening, you know, through history, they strip people of their humanity because you cannot feel. And that is probably what makes us, I mean, I guess, no, I'm not, because God, no, I don't want the dog lovers to come after me, you know, but I don't think that, because I'm like, dogs don't feel, yes, I, okay, yes, they feel, but I think the difference between us and animals is that we feel differently on a different, and we, and we communicate that differently. And so yeah. I think that, um, you know, a lot of, in a lot of sense for us, when it comes to say, for African-American people, specifically in slavery, you know, we were stripped of the permission to have feeling. And then it was kind of like, after a while, you know, it becomes part of your culture that you, you got it, you got to just move on, you got to tough it up, you got to just deal with it, you know, um, for survival. And I think it just became ingrained in our culture, um, unfortunately, to our detriment. Man, they're like, yeah, you just opened up a, another <laughs> avenue that we could go down. And I know I only have you for a few more minutes because I know you got to get going. Um, I do. I'll come back to it, but I do want you to briefly talk about um, now depression. Yes. Um, we talked yes. about anxiety. Um, and there's two different ways because, um, you know, when people say they struggle with depression, right? Like, what does that really mean when they say they struggle with depression? I think it's probably different for every person, but in general, I'm guessing they're talking about having, you know, some period where their mood is low, um, where they don't have a lot of, um, motivation to get up and do things. Um, they feel like the things that they, you know, because this is part of our, our clinical definition is that things that you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore. There may be some, um, weight loss or gain, um, some changes in appetite, definitely for a lot of people, some sleep disturbances that happen. Um, there could be thoughts of hopelessness, um, that were ne- are not necessarily suicidal thoughts, but just feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, feeling guilty. That's another one that people don't think about. But there's a a guilt is a, a significant part of depression a lot of times for people. Um, and again, you have that irritability that gets thrown in there when it comes to children and some adults as well. Um, but I think the biggest thing is the the, the mood that is just blah. I just don't feel like doing anything. Um, and I think that again, this could be something that has had a biological origin since childhood that continued throughout adulthood, or it could be something that's situational that, you know, comes after a loss. Um, it could come after any, any kind of experience that's significant. I mean, there are a lot of ways that you could situationally kind of find yourself depressed. And I think based on how you respond, usually 
give some indication about the duration of, of yeah. depression. Yeah. Now, do you think that the, well, not think, but do you, as far as the duration, because, you know, I remember when I moved to, and I've, I've said this to you before, when I moved to South Carolina, I mean, for a good eight to 10 months, I know I was depressed. Like mm-hmm. I know without, I struggled with it. I mean, I didn't, I was I was doing the bare minimal for myself and for my son, like cooking. I mean, he ate, but mm-hmm. it was oatmeal, <laughs> some nights, mm-hmm. versus, you know, full meals because, you know, I cooked a lot all the time, especially back in Florida. So, you know, we always had full meals. So he was used to a certain way of home, what home felt like. Mm-hmm. And for a good eight to 10 months, um, I was just really depressed. I was at like the lowest place of my life. Now, when you, I think I still kind of go back to some of those moments where I have moments, Mm -hmm. but do you think that, or at what point does it go from it's situational to this might be something that has triggered something biological? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make Uh, sense? uh, Yeah. And I guess, and if you I don't use, want to answer that question, no, 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 that's no. Not, it's just okay. well. I guess my thing is when I when I refer to biological, I'm talking about origin. Like it was okay. some like that. There was something in your genetic code that made you predisposed to it in a sense. Gotcha. So that so that no matter how your life went, you were going to end up having a depressive episode. So when I when I say when I talk about biological origin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gotcha. and in that in that sense, um, you know, because some people, you know, they, you know that it happens because it's a result of say they lose a job or someone dies and they mm-hmm. have an episode and then they never have anything else ever again in their life, you know? And so gotcha. that, that's what I mean by situational. But when I talk about biological, I'm talking about there's something in your DNA that makes you vulnerable, um, that it was, it's, it was bound to happen no matter what the trigger was. Um, in that gotcha. sense. Now I think you could have a situational, something that is caused and triggered by an event that continues um, if you if you do not get help and do not resolve mm-hmm. it, and and For particularly sure. and particularly if it starts exacerbating other problems, then you you could constantly cycle in and out of it. Um, which some people may argue that maybe you were hardwired for that. It's the, the tricky thing about mental mental health disorders is the fact that. Right now, you know, there are brain scans, but they're incredibly expensive and you have to be trained. You know, like there there is a pretty, there's a level of technical skill that goes into being able to do the brain scan as well as read the brain scan. And so right now you can't just, in the same way I could go get a blood test to tell me whether or not I have, you know, chicken pox or, you know, or something like that, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, cancer or, you know, or look at something. I can't necessarily go just say, hey, doc, go and test me for depression. This is very subjective. It's based on symptoms. It's based on reporting. Um, You know, one one person may look at, you know, a a cluster of symptoms and say, "Mm, you don't seem depressed. But the person's like, I absolutely am, you know. And so that's why it is... um, it's good to find the right therapist because this is highly subjective, unfortunately. I mean, it, it sucks, but it is, you know, um, because I wish that there was a way that, and, and again, maybe as we grow through time and research and, you know, the ability, because I'm sure at one point, you know, there, there were no x-rays at one point where you couldn't determine a broken, a broken bone, you know? And yeah, so yeah. The, and then of course that technology came about and, you know, now it's more advanced now it's very, very common. So uh, my hope is that at some point a brain scan is just as common as an x-ray. Um, and that way you'll be able to really see those, you know, those bio, because even if there is, you know, not necessarily, 
you know, the origin, the, I think there's enough research that shows that your brain do, does look a certain way when you're in these situations. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of cases with proper treatment and support, it's resolvable. Um, yeah. So, that's it. you know, oh God, I just love you because you're, you're very real, but you're also very technical and you're speaking yeah. to like, I feel like, and friends, you can agree with me. Um, I'm sure they will that I feel like you explain things in a way that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just all tech heavy. Um, and it's also not just one dimensional because to be quite honest, as many therapists that I have personally known as friends and that I have also gone to, I've never just heard them speak to depression in a way that it's subjected. You know what I'm saying? It's subjected mm -hmm. to the person that you see. It's kind of like they've made it seem like no, it's very definite. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's, you can see it from this way. Um, or it's, you know, if you have these symptoms, it's very much this and not realizing that it's according to, um, the therapist that you see and how they recognize it and how they read it. And yeah, also I mean, the time that you go to it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and there are very, you know, I mean, the DSM five, which is our, our, you know, therapy yeah. Bible, mm -hmm. it lists out very clear symptoms, yeah. you know, and, and it says that, you know, um, but I think there's sometimes some things that, you know, could be recognized, um, that aren't so obvious, you know, for yeah. example, I mean, black women are very good at, I mean, we are very good at being walk, the walking wounded, you know, we are functioning depressed in, I mean, in many ways and we look fine, we're happy we're whatever, you know, but for example, you know, when I was, I, when I lived in Baltimore, I was in Baltimore for, of course I was there for college and then I stayed, so I stayed a total of 14 years in Baltimore and, um, never had any plans of leaving. So it was all God that, but that's a whole nother podcast, you know? Um, <laughs> but I mean, thank you. I'm, I'm okay. God, it's okay. You know, I, I don't want him to be mad at me for like being mad, being, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, you know what, if you paid attention to me, um, this was, I'd had a, a lot, I had ended a, a pretty significant relationship at one point. And um, if you saw me in the office, you wouldn't know any different. But if I were to tell you my pattern, I would literally, I would not, and even I do it now, but it's for different reasons. I never scheduled a client before 11 a.m. Because I didn't get up out of the bed until 1030. And I would um, literally go to work and I would come home and I would eat and go to bed. And on the weekend, I would not come, I would go home on Friday and I would not come out of my house until Monday morning. And when you hear that, you, you, you're going to be like, wait a minute. Okay. Let me investigate further. But anybody that saw me, <laughs> talked to me, you know, during those, I mean, you would never think anything was wrong with me. But if you heard my pattern about mm -hmm. how I was living my life, you would be like, Dominica, something's not right about that. Let me, invest. and then you would have unfolded, you know, all the other things that were going on. So I think that, you know, when I talk about being subject to the therapist, it sometimes, some people unfortunately get into this because, they they taught us this in school, you know, to be sure you're called to this because some people get into this because they're working out their own issues. So there are many mm. therapists out there who are wounded people, who are wounded children, who got into this because they're trying to heal themselves, and they really need to just go sit down somewhere, you know. And they and yeah, speak I, to it, speak yes, to it. Go ahead, and, and they create TV, <laughs> they create TV shows where they're like, you know, just. Uh, I'm like, oh my God, you can't do that on national television. Like you just open somebody up and then like, what do you do? But anyway, you know, um, but a really, 
and then again, also goes your level of sensitivity, your level of training. Um, you know, some people are very more just very rigid and very clinical and they're not going to look. There's also cultural things that need to be taken into consideration For because, sure. you know, um, someone who, um, may not be familiar with certain nuances of a culture, you know, that, you know, um, let's say, uh, gosh, because I don't want to stereotype, but if there's something that you know a particular person of a culture that they normally do and they yeah. don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you can pick up on certain things, like, and it really isn't to make a um, a decision right away. It's really to ask a question and yeah. get clarity. And then from there, you can kind of make that decision about, okay, is this something that's a symptom of depression or is this, you know, or is it not, you know? So, um, yeah, I think all these things are, while there are some objective criteria, there are a lot of things that are subjective, um, that we kind of have to put our heads together. Cause I mean, sometimes in children, they may not display crying. They may not display anything, um, you know, obvious, but they just cranky all the time you know, just irritable, you know, and, and that's a sign, you know, that you need to investigate a little further that you may end up concluding. Yeah. I think this child is probably depressed, but in the beginning, they may just look like they're just being bad. Yeah. And this is something that a therapist needs to assess, not parents. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, definitely, you know, for me, um, there are things that I notice in different stages of my, of my own son, um, that, you know, to seek additional help, but it's not something that as a parent, you can walk your child through because you're not licensed. You're not fully educated. You can be aware of it. You can say, you know, I've been noticing this with my child or I've been noticing this with myself. Let me get more help. Let me get into a safe place. Let me get my child into a safe place so that we can see if there's something deeper. And so this man, this has just been a really good conversation. There's so many things that we could continue to talk about, but the one thing mm-hmm. that I wanted. In Can this I interrupt whole... you real quick? Yeah. Just real, real quick. Just yeah. real quick about the part about the parent though. The flip side of that also though, is that if you know your baby and you've been a parent who has been active um, and involved in your life and you notice a difference and someone is telling you there's nothing wrong, mm-hmm. don't stop. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you know, your baby, you've been with them, you have an instinct and a gut about your child in a sense. And so if you know something, because that happens sometimes too, and especially yeah. with children who, you know, who have been sexually assaulted or traumatized in some way, and they've not told anybody. So what it, the way it comes out is you'll get a therapist, oh, they're just oppositional defiant disorder, you know what I mean? Or they're just, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, you know, it's a discipline problem, you know, when it may be some level of trauma that the child has not verbalized. And once, you know, once you are aware, all that stuff goes out the window because now we primarily have to focus on the trauma. It is not this child is, you know, just a defiant kid. This child is reacting and responding to some level of trauma and that needs to be the, the focus. So definitely, um, you know, don't fight with your therapist if they're telling you something's wrong but on the other hand if you know something is wrong and they're not responding then you need to try to get another provider um there's one thing that i completely agree um there's one thing that i was just thinking of while you were talking and i just want to touch on it for a few minutes before we um before we close out um is you know people who um do suffer and struggle and live with these different disorders Um, And we only, you know, touched anxiety and depression. There's so many other ones that, um, you know, that kind of are underneath and that are um, associated, so to speak. But the sensitivity that we have to have in dealing with who have 
these different disorders or different situational moments, um, you know, how would you, what would be the advice that you give friends, family, parents, um, coaches, teachers to handle people who possibly, whether they, whether it's known or diagnosed or not, if there's symptoms that are being shown or if there are certain behaviors that are being shown, um, what are some of the sensitivity or the handholding that you should have? And the reason why I say that, and I want you to speak to it, is because we can have, if we're not directly, and this is humankind, this isn't necessarily a black, white, brown thing. If we aren't necessarily dealing with it, we can have a tendency to respond in a way that is insensitive to someone mm-hmm. who is dealing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, matter of fact, I was talking to one of my best friends earlier today, and she made a statement how people can respond. Um, gosh, I wish I could find it. She said people can respond as if, um, you know, you can, oh, that's what she said. You can only be in control of yourself, right? And she said that's almost as telling a person who is dealing with anxiety or depression, she said, that's like telling them all lives matter. Mm. I said, whoa, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, that's a pretty, you know what I'm saying? Because of course, you know how we're dealing with, you know, people having this whole thing of black lives matter. Mm -hmm. No, all lives matter. Right. It's almost Mm -hmm. like you're disregarding. Look, we're just simply saying this is what matters in this moment. We got to speak out, speak, you know, that type of thing. So could we speak to, some of the handholding and some of the approaches that we can have to our friends and our family and teachers and all that kind of stuff to have a better approach to people who are dealing with these aspects, these disorders. Well, I think the first thing you can do is give them permission to feel. And um, if the feelings are being expressed in the inappropriate place or or location or timing, then you kind of help them to find a place to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. because I think that the biggest thing people talk about is not feeling, we have a question on our, on our intake form is, you know, one of the, the, do you feel like your illness is not being taken seriously enough? Um, there are definitely certainly people who, um, you know, are attention seeking and even in that Mm -hmm. is potentially part of a disorder. Um, but there are some people, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm from rural South Carolina and well, not, let me just say it didn't just here because it happened in Golden City, but just in general, some people do fake in order to get a check. I mean, that's just the Mm -hmm. bottom line of reality. Every therapist knows that, you know, and we hate when we get, you know, those packets from SSI wanting us to, you know, give this information because, you know, it's always a risk, you know, that, um, you know, just, it's annoying, you know, because some people are, and and you're like, ain't nothing wrong with you, you know, but, um, you know, I think you do get permission um, because if there is the case, you know, let's say there's no faking, there's no, we call it malingering, you know, none of that has happening. And this person is truly going through something, giving them permission because you need to know that they're safe, that it's okay. I think point them to the resources, trying not to, um, judge and not even necessarily be careful about trying to relate because sometimes, you know, you can say your are I understand what you're feeling because I, and that for some people can be dismissive because one, you're turning the conversation about you, but then two, it could just be that maybe your situations don't match. And so, yeah. you know, I'd be cautious about trying. I mean, I guess you could say I went through something, you know, um, similar. Um, but I think just, you know, really just being that ear 
Um, and then I think um, helping them get to resources, but then holding them accountable to using the resources. Because I think that, you know, if they're, you know, if they're not ready, then I, you know, and they're genuinely just, there's something that's blocking them from going, then I think there's a little patience that you need. But I think that in a lot of cases, people do need a little bit of a nudge and a little bit of, hey, I'll take you or, hey, you know, I'll check on you after, or, you know, that kind of thing, just for that support. Because if they've never encountered therapy before, if they're not in an environment that talks about it, it may be scary for them. And so it's almost like, you know, you got, you have cancer, but you, and you need to go to the doctor to address it, but you're afraid to. And so you do need, because your life is on the line. So you do need that one aunt who's going to say, baby, if you don't get up from there, you know, <laughs> like yeah. somebody's going to drag you out the house and just be like, look, you're going to this doctor, you know, or you're going to the surgeon or whatever, you know. So sometimes don't be afraid to do that, particularly if someone's suicidal. If you have a friend or family member that is suicidal, by all means, do whatever you have to do to get them help. You know, because I think that they, you know, in most cases, once, you know, healing, you know, or health is better, you know, there is some gratitude for that. You know, now certainly that may not always be the case because some people who truly want to end their life, they may not be happy that you did let them do that, you know. But I think in a lot of cases, um, they would be grateful to that. Um, so I think in that case, you, you know, all, you know, bust their boundaries, do what they got to do. If they're actively suicidal and trying to harm themselves, you do want to prevent that as, as best you can. But in the other cases, your <laughs> accountability can be a little more gentle, but accountability nonetheless. So. Yeah. And I just want to touch on one thing you mentioned about, you know, faking um, people that, um, you know, there are people, that's just the reality of it. I would like to encourage um, that is not determined by us and sure. because we don't know. Right. And so in that initial encounter or if someone is coming to you or if someone is having a moment, whether it's in private or in public, that is not the time to determine whether someone is faking or not. Um, because we don't know, right? Like in that moment, and I'm speaking from a more of a personal, not necessarily from a therapist to a patient standpoint, but more so from a friend to a friend or a sister to a brother or a mother to a a son or daughter, whatever the case may be in those moments. Um, I think it's beneficial to lean more on the side of sensitivity than it is to lean on the side of, are you really hurt? Or are yeah. you really, you know, because you don't know and you then you don't know what even more trauma that could open or wound that could open by you questioning them kind of having the courage to say, man, I'm struggling. Um, it's different if you see somebody with a pattern of, OK, you want attention. And even in those moments, unfortunately, um, you know, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. The time that he needed help, nobody was there for him. Um, mm-hmm. So even then you still have to be. Um, I would encourage people to still just kind of peek your head and say, hey, you good? You sure? Or is there something I can do for you? Even if there's people um, who have kind of their pattern has been more attention seeking, I still feel like it's as a um, civilian, I'll say it from a civilian standpoint, (laughs) you know, we should definitely lean to more of the being sensitive because you don't know what people are going through. Um, and you don't know what it took for them to speak up or to have this moment um, of expression. So anyhow, um, I appreciate you so much for yeah. just taking the time Thank to you have for this having conversation. Me. Yeah. yeah. I, one thing that I want to leave the friends with is you said it um, earlier. 
is when we started to kind of venture and talk about, um, you know, more so in the, just any culture that has been under oppression, not having the permission to seek help or to be human and to feel. And so I want to leave friends with you have the permission to be human. You have the permission to feel. You have the permission to not be okay. You have the permission to be happy. You have the permission to be sad. You have Mm -hmm. the permission to struggle. um, And you also have the permission to seek help. And for that to not weigh whether you are strong or weak or anything, matter of fact, it makes you very courageous and it makes you full of strength when you actually seek help for something that is blocking you. And so um, you have the permission. If you heard nothing from, if you only took bits and pieces from this entire conversation, know that you have permission to be whatever it is that you feel Um, And also after you feel to seek help or to express whatever it is that you feel. So I appreciate you once again, taking the time. If you want to add anything to the friends, um, any final remarks that you would like to leave with them, I definitely would like for you to share with them where they can find you, where they can get a session with you website all of that good stuff because you're amazing 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 (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you um yeah so um www.allthingshappy.org um that is sort of my main site um it's a sunshine brand and it kind of encompasses everything i do um so counseling is not the only thing i do and you'll go there and you may find out some of those things um i'm also um i don't post a lot well atlee counseling does have a facebook page so you can definitely find me there my dominica sucky page not so much so you probably Brittany's probably gonna fuss (laughs) about that we're gonna probably work on that but you can find me posting things clinically related on Atlee Counseling um, on Facebook Um, and then I did want to give some of those resources because if you're not one of the things is that is important to note that your therapist must um, the therapist that you have they must be licensed in the state you reside in the only state that does not apply to is Florida so if you live in Florida your therapist can be anywhere but uh, every state has legislation that says that um, they can only treat people who reside in the state they're licensed in. So if you do not live in South Carolina and you're looking for a therapist, um, if you go to psychologytoday.com, you can put in your zip code and it will give you a list of therapists. Um, If you are a person of color and a female, there is um, Black Therapy for Girls that you could go to um, would be another resource. And then there is also um, the... um, Oh, it just flew out of my head. Ah, it's this. It's a psychotherapy collective. Um, hold on, I'm gonna try to look it up real quick. Uh-huh. Ah, open. Is there I'm sorry. anything for the? Go ahead. Openpathcollective.org. It's for people who do not have insurance. Every therapist, and I'm actually on there. Every therapist in that list it, has agreed to reduce their rate um, to, I think it's like $30 for an individual 60 for a couple um, to specifically help people who are not able to um, afford um, therapy because they don't have insurance. And then I found another resource that um, it's, I think it's Cynthia Revo and it's specifically for coronavirus that they're offering free sessions. And so they asked therapists, would they be willing to donate sessions? And it is, this is drkbeauty.com. And I can send Brittany these links so she can post them yeah. um, on a web space, but that's for people specifically during their whole coronavirus time. So, you know, that could be for anybody. I am working on a resource for men um, um, because typically, you know, we have stuff for particularly for women. And so once I come across some of that, I will send that as well. 
So great. Cause that was going to be my question to you. Do we have anything for the men? Because we, I feel like that space is lacking. It is. Um, it's lacking for it men is. and here it's just, we're, I'm actually going to be having an all male panel, um, coming up soon as an episode and just to really have a real dialogue with men, because I feel like the space of mental health, um, and really the space of men just getting help, period. Sure. It's so vacant. It's sure. just vacant. It's vacant. And, and I will say, you know, it, Oh, some of it is because they're, you know, certainly they're females outweigh, you know, the number. I mean, there are not a lot of male clinicians. They're very hard to find, at least in our area. Um, and so and and so typically people, their niche, you know, sometimes falls along the lines of where, you know, their specialty area um, or just in level comfort. And so, you know, there's a black woman who created therapy for black girls, you know. And so, um, yeah, we just we need a guy to kind of say therapy black, you know, or whatever, you know, just for men or whatever. But I, I did find one. I haven't researched it personally. So I do know one. But I before I tell you anything, I want to make sure I kind of vet it. So I will actually look at it and see. Um, but yeah, that is a space that, it, and I do have a couple of therapists I know of in South Carolina that are men, but in other areas, I don't know, but we are looking and we will find you guys something. So, and it, but also <laughs> it does not mean that a woman cannot be a great therapist for, um, for a guy. I, I definitely want to make that clear because I have a lot of male, some of my funnest clients are male because you know, they, there's a whole banter and dynamic that happens when you have to tell them what to do. And they, they jokingly tell you that, you know, have you been talking to my wife? Y'all must be talking behind the, my back. And I'm like, no, I think think we both know what's wrong with you you know <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's not to say that a woman but it's just that sometimes these these unique spaces have been carved out but any therapist should be able to handle a person whether they are male or female so don't feel like guys that you're left out totally but there are some spaces that have been created specifically for women so Gotcha. So all of these resources, I will collect from her and I will put them um, on my website so that you guys can view that. Um, so you guys can view it along with some of the definitions and some terms that we were using earlier so that you can understand a little bit more when you're going through your interview process with um, therapists. Um, again, thank you, Dominica, for sure. joining us, um, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Grilled Cheese and Rosé. If this is your first time with me, you can find me on social media at Nicole, and you can visit my website, meetbrittanynicole.me. I'm giving away free stuff every single week. All you have to do is go to my website, meetbrittanynicole.me, click on the link that says free stuff, type in your name and your email address, and you're in there. From there, I'm going to send you free stuff every single week. So be sure to share this episode and subscribe if you haven't already. And as always, love and evolution.